welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast, and this is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's been multiple years in the making since I pitched this idea to Noah, and then the entire month of October in the making as we have finally whittled down our bracket challenge to the final four. Uh, we will be doing the final four this evening and uh, then crowning our champion of Dugout Podcast, Deadly Analysis, Greatest of All Time. So, uh, we have four uh, films remaining. We are ready to argue. We have 10-minute free-for-alls in the case of a 2-2 tie, but we shall see what happens. Our first matchup of the evening is Requiem for a Dream, Darren Aronofsky's film about drug addiction and goals and love and existential themes and... Seventh Seal, Ingmar Bergman's also existential film, A Meditation on Death. This one survived willing challenges by A Clockwork Orange and Come and See. Uh, let us see what we go for in this first bracket. Go ahead, Noah. What do you vote for? The Seventh Seal. Ben. Seventh Seal, of course. Shara. Requiem. And I am Requiem as well. So we start first. Our first 10-minute argument. 10 minutes starts now. 10-minute free-for-all. What do we say? What do we say in this? Oh, okay. Sorry. Actually, yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested that that Jim went for for this particular one. I think in the past uh, when you've argued it, um, it's kind of been more on the side of, you know, this movie is more about, like, drugs and stuff like that. I think you brought that up whenever... What what was it that we compared it to? It was it went against audition, then Darn yeah, Darko. And I it was kind think... of like about that. And then you're sort of putting that above sort of like this this masterwork by Ingmar Bergman. And I, I know it's not your favorite Bergman film, but I'm kind of curious as to why um you're sort of giving it in this other direction when I sort I, I know, like I, I know how sort of uh highly you value Bergman's work. I do. I love Bergman, uh, but this is uh, like my fifth favorite Bergman film. Um, And the reason is, I think that the Seventh Seal traffic, look, the Seventh Seal does a lot of things really, really well. Um, It's a meditation on death, uh, like all of the things that you've argued in the previous podcast. I don't necessarily have to um, recontextual, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rehearse some of those, although yeah. I would like you to sort of ground some of those arguments in, in some specific scenes. I think that the one thing that I haven't really, the punch that I haven't thrown at Seventh Seal yet that I've been, I, if I had fought Clockwork Orange versus Seventh Seal, this is the punch I would have thrown. And that is that I think the Seventh Seal continues in a long tradition of films by men about men, um, that that uh, sort of navigate and and con- contemplate the great beyond, and that it is a an essentially um, male dominated thing that men are the ones who are supposed to contemplate the great beyond, yet women are the ones who are sort of shunted aside. And I think Seventh Seal does shunt the female characters aside, as I brought up in the initial podcast. It was the first podcast I ever did on Deadly Analysis, and I did make the argument that this doesn't hold up against a feminist lens. I think Hmm. Requiem for a Dream does. So while I do respect the Seventh Seal, while I love the Seventh Seal, like the Seventh Seal, I think that it exists in a tradition of films 
that uh, put the contemplation of the great beyond as a male uh, as a male thing that none of Bergman's later and I would say stronger work such as through Glass Darkly, Persona um, and to a lesser degree Scenes from a Marriage, although Scenes from Marriage is, is highlighting a different thing um, and Wild Strawberry is also highlighting a different thing mm. but I, I think that the I think that when because of Seven Seals sort of existence in this larger framework that I find to be upsetting, mm. I you know I would actually put the film Eighth Grade above Seventh Seal because Eighth Grade is a female centric film where she is navigating and contemplating some of the very same questions that Seventh Seal and and all of these other fine films are doing, and that's <laughs> that's that's, that's pretty interesting. Punch against Seventh Seal. Yeah, no, I, I think I would definitely disagree with that, especially because like we have female characters playing, I think, an equal role. Like obviously, the main character in 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 Seventh Seal is is a man, Antonius Block. He's a soldier that came back from the Crusades, but I think we also have um, Yoff and Mia, who are mm -hmm. like the the theater troupe. I think Yoff is sort of portrayed as kind of like this silly sort of archetypical fool character. He's kind of like innocent. He sort of sees the bright, sort of like the light of the sun and kind of like stays on the positive side of things going through this entire story. But I think it's pretty much implied that Mia is sort of the more wise one in that relationship. And especially when they have their conversation with with uh, with uh, Yons um, and sort of eating, sitting there eating strawberries and sort of enjoying life and so on and so forth. And even at the end when uh when uh Yoff sort of seems to have forgotten the entire sort of proceeding of the entire film Mia sort of understands and it's almost like she's seen the story play out before and she has a greater understanding that he does and that's sort of like our capstone scene is that she is the one that sort of has this wisdom and understands the key to the 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 two sides of the coin that we're looking at here both the nature of death as well as the light of life um that is I that moment is built on silence, and I don't think she's given the same freedom to express the way the uh, the main character, the Max Foncino character is. Well, I mean, I, I completely disagree with that. It's based on the dialogue that I, I'm seeing. Like, he's clearly the fool, and she is the one that very obviously is sort of, like, capitulating with him and sort of, like, keeping him and saying, oh, yeah, of course, well, you're just having these silly dreams and sort of shielding him and protecting him from the truth. But there's not only that, there's, like, Plog the blacksmith and then his wife, Lisa, who is obviously sort of going off and having her own adventures with this other theater troupe member, and we have this sort of very strong female character there that's kind of, like, doing whatever she wants. But again, She's... like, and he is sort of being played the fool, but at the end of the story, again, they're sort of equalized where they're standing equally before death, right? I mean, it's like we have these very interesting sort of deeply deeply rich um, stories behind these characters and they all at the end sort of become equal except in the capstone scene where we have we have Mia and Yoff and Mia is the one that has the key to wisdom in my mind so how do I you don't... see her demonstrating that key to wisdom like what is it what is it about that scene that makes you see her as okay. a an so, agent in the same way that the Max von Sydow character is given to yeah you? so earlier in the movie uh, he, Yoff, starts talking about these dreams that he's having about seeing the Virgin Mary and so on and so forth. And she listens to his dreams and sort of like downplays them a little bit and saying, well, you always have these silly dreams and so on and so forth and blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, I think their characters are sort of set up to be that he is this kind of like wild and silly dreamer playing the fool again. And she is the more rational foundational component of that relationship. She sees the truth. She listens to him. She loves him. 
but she is the one that's more related to kind of like secular knowledge and she just sort of understands and sort of doesn't necessarily believe the foolishness but like capitulates him again like she just sort of placates his his desires and his dreams and his whims and that sort of follows that dynamic that that dynamic sort of plays out through the entire film and again going to the ending scene where he sees them up on a hill that that dance macabre like where all the characters are sort of dancing behind death he sees that but she seems to also see that and then just be like no it's just a dream blah 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 and she just sort of again protects him from that truth she understands he forgets and they just sort of go along the same storyline together as equal characters but again like she represents i think a stronger position in that relationship and has kind of like that knowledge but protects him from it and so that i think that gives her a little bit more power that being said That's like i mean even interesting reading and, of that that and scene. not only that yeah i mean like we have this scene <clears throat> where we have obviously there's a witch burning that happens in the midst of this whole fucking this this entire sort of story obviously we're talking about um europe and like in the times of the black death and like obviously there's religious fervor and anytime i think that you have a story about a witch burning that isn't necessarily taken from the side of the church it becomes inherently feminist because you th- see the silliness of them fucking doing this, thinking that she's some sort of like agent of the devil. And like, I think it's positioned in a play in a, in a place where, because you have, you have, um, Jan's sort of perspective on this and giving her mercy and giving her this drug, but also sort of talks to her about this. And you realize that she seems crazy to them because she has seen the same thing that Jan's has seen. She has seen death. And that's why she's kind of like, you know, kind of like taken, like seems a little bit messed up because the impact of that, that experience has changed her a little bit. Everyone else interprets that as oh, you're a witch. You're seeing these things. You're seeing the devil. She reports seeing these things to protect herself from the fucking men that are trying to attack her. She is an ultimately feminist character in this and shows, I think the downfall of the church and their oppression of women. Like again, like, I mean, it's really hard to sort of argue that this is anti anti-feminist or sexist in any way because i mean there's at least equality of the characters but there's also points in this film that i think show a very strong feminist bent so if that's the argument that you're making against this versus requiem for a dream i don't see that especially because at the end of requiem for a dream we see everyone sort of decaying again at an equal rate but also our main female character ends up being overly sexualized and sort of giving into that for the desire of drugs, right? I mean, like obviously, and it's it's just a yeah. metaphor. Well, of course, everyone and, uh, goes down a yeah, dark everyone path does. for, yeah, everyone for does. different kinds of uh, uh, things that they're into. I I just want to say this, okay? Everybody's yeah. I mean, I, I'll I'll sort of reply to that, but go ahead, share it. Yeah, but I mean, I, we're. I, we I probably do not actually talk than... about Requiem. <laughs> please, yeah, please. Yeah. About... Let's give this some time. Let's really think about this. Um, so I, I want to talk about Requiem because here's the thing. This is a film that started out with everybody in a seemingly happy situation and it, and it devolves. And that is a very interesting uh, story. It does not end happily, although it does end equally. And everybody gets into their fetal positions and their ending positions. Um, but it... it it talks about the society we live in, the things that we are are pushed to do, and how those societal pressures can actually affect you uh, in a mental way that affects you in a physical way, eventually. And these are things that we all deal with in a horrifying way. But I, I want to say this, because I feel like this is the argument against Seventh Seal that continues to pop up for me and why it can't fully go to the top for me in some ways. Um just like with Come and See, with Requiem for a Dream, uh, in Seventh Seal, people die. 
and they get to have an existential understanding of the world from having a discussion. Whereas, whereas with Requiem and with Come and See... I'm just going to interrupt you. We're going to go another 10 minutes on this, especially since this is the final four. Uh, with, with Requiem and with Come and See, you have people that are going through something that is very traumatic and they have to live through it and they have to deal with it and it doesn't end happily. It ends where they have to fucking figure out what do you do with this trauma? What kind of person am I going to be? And it doesn't ever tell you. It doesn't give answers to that. It just says this is what life does to you. It'll fuck you up. It'll put you in a situation that you are at your bottom. This is the bottom. Here's your bottom. And then it ends there, which a lot of people get disturbed by. And it is horrific. But in a way, this is what life does to you. You have to make decisions now of who you're going to be. You have to decide your morality. Mm -hmm. You aren't going to have death as an escape. You're not going to be able to sit down with death and discuss existential shit. You have to actually figure out your morality and what you're going to become and how you're going to deal with this shit. That is hard. Death yeah. is almost easier. And I will. And 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 that isn't to say that dying is is easy, but it it's almost easier than dealing with a a traumatic event like this. Like, how do you yeah. deal with your yeah. arm being removed? Your best friend is in prison. Your girl is 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 essentially devolving to like a, a horrific rape scene uh, with people objectif objectifying her in the most horrific of ways, and, and your mom is being put into a mental institution. How do you come? to a place where you can deal with life after that. Yeah. Can yeah, you? You probably right. can't. Just Honestly, like with come and see where, how do you, after all of that experience, how do you come from, how do you deal trauma and remain a human being? And I think, I think that's where maybe my, my movies that I have chosen differentiate. And that doesn't mean that one of them is better than the other. I just think that might be the thing that's more horrific to me is, is trauma to the point where, what the fuck do I do after after it, you know? Sure. I mean, I'll give you, like, I think what I, I really enjoy horror films that don't necessarily give easy answers in general. I think ending on a down note, it's like you see this sort of transformation. Obviously, like, through the course of the plot and through the course of the story, we have a main character that transforms, but not necessarily for the better. I think that's a great horror story. It's fantastic. I generally tend on the side of those kinds of stories over the uplifting sort of positive, you know, with a light at the end of the tunnel shit. I really do. Um, and that's why I like Requiem. I think it's a warning tale. It's here's pretty much like the exact opposite of enlightenment. It's like, here's the choice um, and you made the wrong choice and this is how it ends. Um, and it's the same thing with like come and see where it's like where you have this horrible situation transforming this person into a sort of traumatized sort of killer. Um, and it doesn't show the resolution of that. I just, in this exception, I think this is an exception to my general rule that those make better horror films because this sort of takes the next step beyond that in some ways, I think, and says, okay, well, again, like this is prefixed on all of this horrible shit that's already happened. 
but then it kind of gives you a little bit of an answer. It's like, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's hard to explain why this horrible stuff happens. Maybe God exists, maybe not. It's really hard to tell because there's this, again, like this sort of divine hiddenness. There's this silence. We don't get any easier answers on this front. The answer that we think we have is really sort of hard to prove out. I mean, any kind of person that really digs into epistemology and understands exactly how hard it is to find the difference between knowledge and belief I, you know, I think it gets really difficult to sort of suss out what that clear answer is if you're looking for the divine. But I think the seventh seal sort of gives the perfect secular answer to that in that, you know, it's it's not, you know, we, there's things we can't know. There's absolutely things we can't know. There's things that even death doesn't seem to know. So when you're wrestling with this concept, you're never going to find answers if this is the path you're going down. But as long as you sort of appreciate what you have here and now, you've got the sun, you've got milk, you've got strawberries, you have the people you love, you have new life and children and, you know, you have all this other stuff. And you, if you really sort of like focus on that, all of the other stuff can kind of melt away and you can sort of find meaning in this place. And that's so fundamentally important because if you're just left with that negative in life, like in real life, after you come to ask those questions and seek those answers – it's devastating, and you end up like the characters at the end of Requiem, at the end of Come and See, with but nothing. But was that the well, end? I, was yeah, was Requiem the end? Was Come and See the end? No, it's not. Of course they not. Live, they live on after that. And so that's really what it makes it so realistic. When you come from trauma, there are no easy answers as how to fix things. Maybe he found strawberries and enjoyed them at one point in time after going through this trauma. We don't know. We don't get to see that. And, and that is how we tell audiences this is what it looks like to go through trauma. And this is what the bottom looks like. And that is so much more realistic to me. And, and um, it, it's a nice idea. You die, you get to hang out with death. You get to play a game of chess. You get to actually contemplate that stuff. It's a metaphor. Come on, I it's a metaphor. It. I understand <laughs> it. I get it. I, like, I understand. But it's not horrific to me it doesn't fuck me up as hard and i think that's that's a gauge we've used right yeah let's go to noah right now i mean you, okay. you, we've yeah, done I just, 16 I just minutes say, and like, noah hasn't said anything so i, I want to no, no, I'm just listening. I, I just want to say like I, the the thing that with come and see and with requiem it fucks me up it makes me think it makes me want to understand other people's perspectives it makes me want to be a better person. It makes me want to to contemplate how my actions affect others. You know, um, whereas uh, that's what death does for me. More introspective for me in in like how to uh, deal with death. You know so what I mean? Me, so for me, Cher, I want to hop on that note because for me, that's what contemplating death did for me. Contemplating my place in light of my finitude and the fact that I'm going to cease to be a person and I don't think anything happens after that, that has made me reassess how I approach people, how I behave. Um, that has been a more horrifying look. I've lived with drug addicts most of my life growing up. I've seen I've seen everything that every bad drug can do, and I've lived in that world and I've been a part of it. So I understand. Um, how that can affect a person, a family, how that can change things. But all of those people in Requiem for a Dream at some point will have to do that same dance. It is an inevitability that happens to every human being that has walked this earth and potentially that will walk this earth. And that is, there's a fundamentality to that that is so below 
and below and above. I mean, just all around. It's an entire different, an entirely different thing than one's place in the world and what they have to deal with. And that's not to necessarily downplay it as not important, but it is to underscore that the difference between these two movies in terms of what they talk about, in terms of what they cover, one of them ends at a decision tree while you're still alive. And the other is about no matter what decisions you make, you still got this thing at the end that you got to take care of, that you got to think about, that you got to face. And a lot of people don't. That's the other thing that makes Seven Seals so horrifying is a lot of people don't ever do that game of chess with death. A lot of people don't think about death. A lot of people just are fucking NPCs making their way through life and they don't give any real philosophical contemplation to their place in the universe. And, and it's not to say everyone should or everyone has the ability to do that or can afford themselves the ability to do that. But I think when you do that and you take seriously your finitude and you take seriously that question, the more you chew on it, the more, ga- the more moves of that chessboard you make and play with death, the more, to me, the more horrifying it becomes. It's not cool to play chess with death. It's terrifying. That's why I think, I mean, I, I feel that way. And I think that if you take death seriously, you should feel that way. So I think that this is just a layer deeper to me than Requiem for a Dream. So that's why I pick it. I mean, I'll put it this way. I was, I was, uh, I'm the only one that still has the shenanigans remaining. And I think you guys have convinced me enough that I'm not going to use my shenanigans if it ends up Requiem for a Dream. That's probably where I'm at. And that's probably where I'm going to go. Uh, probably might end. I think Requiem for a Dream has much more energy behind it. But, you know, for me, technical merits of a film is are, are really important. And inventiveness as a, a in 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 its technicality is really important. And Aronofsky is directing his fucking ass off in this movie. Uh, we get all of the all, of, you know, killer refrigerators, um, a a magnificent game-changing performance oscar nominated performance by ellen burston and it's it's just a movie that is sucks me in a lot more than seven seal and and that's i i i you know you're you gave a really strong counter argument to my sort of feminist bent of of seven seal and and can i I be a person who pisses them off Oh, right please. before we get to the end? Well, we got five seconds. You piss them off in five seconds. I think Requiem talks about what lower class people have to deal with, whereas Seventh Seal has to deal with what higher class knights who play chess have to deal with. And I think that that part... This is, is where Ben kills you. There's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some counter arguments. There are some lower class people in in Seventh Seal, but I uh, I certainly understand. I, 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 Death yeah, doesn't I, know yeah. class. Death doesn't other, know class. There are other all. characters, but I just want to say, like, this is talking about stuff that lower class people have to deal with. Trying to make ends meet through selling drugs. Trying to uh, figure out how to lose weight with a proper doctor when you don't have proper health care. Uh, trying to figure out how to make money when you have to kiss ass to your rich parents and possibly some rich sexual uh, kink people. Uh, being black in America, ending up in prison because of uh, stupid circumstances that you happen to get into. Like no, these are these are some class issues that are brought into Requiem that kind of uh, are pertinent to today. To today. Uh, yeah, which we I, talked about. I want to so. I I, I, I say, like, I, I totally get you that, um, you know, with a, a lot of stuff in the Requiem 
for a dream. I mean, it is, I, I think, aimed at a particular demographic, right? I mean, I, I ultimately see death as kind of like the great equalizer. Once again, whether you're a king or a lowly street sweeper, it's, Once it's again, you know, you end up in the same fucking place, right? Um, and maybe philosophy in general is a little bit pretentious uh, and thinking about like kind of like what we do, the fact that we take time and we have time to sort of contemplate over this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, like when, when you're in a certain position in life, I don't think, yeah, I mean, there's, there's other stuff that you're sort of, yeah, there's other stuff that sort of burdens your mind, like where you're going to find your next fucking meal. Are you going to be able to maintain the house and the roof over your head? How are you going to take care of your kids? I get that. But yeah, I don't know. My, my pushback is that, you know, death hits us all and the end, we all end up at the same place. Yeah, and something that Master Splinter said at the end of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, death comes us, comes to us all, Orokusaki, but some Mm. of us, it comes a little bit sooner <laughs> so. all right let's yeah, right. uh let's call it uh seven seal is seated higher it is heads flipping i'm assuming no vote strange nope. okay all That's right not. um flipping now <laughs> it is tails right oh, now. Such a, that's a bummer and this is the reason why our top people don't win elections um because none of us are gonna win in this election now um none of our babies (laughs) won so like what's interesting is this is actually how things really work sometimes our second place people can go a little bit further than our first place people in our minds because there's compromise that's happening with others and this is how society works and it's very interesting that this is how all of this is coming together is a little bit more a uh, compromise where none of us are going to actually win, but <laughs> be okay yeah, with who gets there. I think we're, we're getting green booked a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we are getting green booked. That's <laughs> literally what's happening. And this is how these, this is how this works. And it happened on our own show right. with our own ideas. So I think it's pretty interesting. So we move on to the other side of our bracket and we have alien versus get out. Ben, you have the first vote. What do you go with? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was really compelled by some of the earlier arguments that you heard about Get Out, and so I think that's all ultimately the one I'm going to have to go with here. The arguments last week? Yes. Or on, uh, the arguments on Thursday? <laughs> I don't, whatever the, whatever the, yeah, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Get Out, uh, and then Shayra. I love these movies, but I'm going to go with Get Out, too. Really? All right. I am going Get Out as well. Noah? Um, I think just because you three went get out, I think I'm gonna go alien. Um, All and, right, but you yeah, have, I think I think I think alien. You have. Uh, we're gonna give you two minutes because we're doubling everything. Uh, two minutes to change our vote. Yeah, I I I'm not sure how to do this. Um, we've gone through every good reason Alien is a great film, and every good reason Get Out is a great film, and they're both fantastic. They're both unbelievable in their own ways. They uh, are aimed at different things. And they do those things very well. Um, and in that sense, for, for their own sort of subgenres of horror, they each do the, that thing very well. Cerebral psychological horror with a lot of sociopolitical stuff going on. And then sci-fi horror, um, sort of the expanses of space. And there's a lot of feminist stuff going on in that. So they both have just high-minded stuff. They have politically progressive stuff for all you commenters out there, since I know you love those sorts of horror films that are so liberal and progressive. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know how to persuade anyone of this. I, it's, uh, look, 
for me, I'll give you the answer. The thing that did it is just the high-mindedness just wins. And there are certain films where the high-mindedness is pretentious and I don't like it. And there's other films where the high-minded and, – and that's not to say Get Out isn't high-minded. See, this is the problem I'm going to run into is that you can almost make a counter for everything I say. But I think, I think that with Alien, I have traditionally a more visceral reaction. It left – uh, sc- a, a, a scar in my soul. I've I, I've had nightmares about Alien. I haven't had nightmares I get out. It's probably because I'm a woke white liberal. Um, I don't know. Uh, sci-fi does it for me. Space, the expanse of like this endless void and something out there that is hard to understand that, you know, that creeps in and destroys us. It lets us know that as we explore and as we get farther along into the universe, there are things out there that want us dead. Not necessarily even that want us dead, that don't understand the concept of dead alive, that just, that are. Um, that there are things beyond our understanding. Um, that said, Get Out's a fantastic movie, and I'd be happy if it moved on to the final two. Um, but I think there's just something about Alien that hit me a little harder. And it's super subjective, and I know it's not a great argument, but so be it. All right. Any changes? <laughs> if that persuaded you, get off the show. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. So that means Get Out moves on, and it wow. is one of the champions, uh, one of the final two. Here we are, our championship round. Requiem for a Dream, Darren Aronofsky's drug-fueled exploration of desperation and get out scary white people um i would have voted for get out three times if i could have and i did so here we go uh shayra you get the first vote get out or requiem for a dream requiem all right i am going get out noah get out for sure ben this goes to a vote. Oh, if yeah. Requiem wins, I will kill myself. So you know what I really want? I really want it to just be left up to to chance. Anarchy. This is anarchy I right want, here. Yeah, I want chaos to reign. Are you voting yeah. for Requiem? I uh, Requiem. Let's do it. So that means we've got a 20-minute argument. Uh, Noah and me versus Shayra and Ben. It's a 20-minute free-for-all. I should have known Ben and I Let's together do this. <laughs> Well, first off, I'm going to argue that Ben actually really thinks Get Out's a better movie. I know that. I can see I it in his eyes. See it in his eyes. Then I should be easy to convince, shouldn't I? Oh, God. Do no. Do no. It, then. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. <laughs> hey, let's be honest. I don't All like of it. us are arguing movies that were not in our top. So now we're that's having true. to figure our lives out a little bit and we're trying to have to readjust in our pants so yeah i mean sure i had i had bug versus annihilation in my final two so it's very clear that uh that we're not but at each cases where we've had to individually evaluate these films and one of the things that has always uh been part of my metrics has been the film that aims higher and i think get out especially with its racial and social and political relevance and the degree to which it has been a genre changing and uh remarkably effective movie i think that that ends up being something that uh it's a film that i think represents what horror and elevated horror quote unquote 
is doing today the best. And so for that reason, I'm going get out. I mean, we've all had to readjust. I've had Jaws in the final four, for fuck's sake, and that went out in the first round. So we've all had to do these kind of uh, put two films against each other, just as I do on the... Uh, uh, with the movie posters and say, all right, which one is which one is better? Which one's aiming higher? Which one's better made? Which one's has has better acting? Which one emotionally affects us the most? And uh, when I do that, I think Get Out is it's a film that grown that's grown on me too. I mean, I walked out of the theater giving Get Out three and a half stars, and now it's grown to four point five, which is un that never happens. Um, and it's just because I started realizing how carefully made Jordan Peele's uh, initial opus was. Um, you know, I love Requiem. I've I've argued for Requiem multiple times. I argued for Requiem against Seventh Seal. I've argued for Requiem against Rear Window. I've argued for Requiem against Pawnee Pool. I've argued for Requiem against Donnie. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Like it's been all it's been all Requiem all the time, but it's also been all Get Out all the time for me. So um, when we get to the final two, we're gonna have to Sophie's Choice this shit and. I so what you're telling me is these oh. final two have you to blame. Okay, so let's do this. I mean, I, I guess they this. have you to yes. blame too. You voted for both of these movies all the way yes, through Yes, I too. did. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me. This, let me this is our second Shara. place round. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to talk to Shara. All right, yeah, yeah. All right, I want to talk to Shara. Let me, you know let I me, love both these Yeah, let me, let me do this. Let me do this. All right, so Shara. The traditionally in the last couple of years, we've done this horror podcast. I we have talked. We we know each other's fear stuff a lot, right? Like we know my shit familial. We know we know what scares us. I can't think of a better candidate for a movie that should scare you to death more than Get Out. Um, this is a movie where the protagonist literally exists and does not exist. Their personhood gets taken right in front of them. And as they go into the sunken place, they still have the ability to see, to still see their body function in the real world, but have no control over it. The movie says that they will be as passive observers. I mean, that is not a metaphorical way to get you to your biggest fear. It is a literal way of getting there, and it is done through the vehicle of race. It is done through a socially-minded, socially minded, progressive, um, and collaborative issue. I mean, it is it is something that is done through a very meticulous, socially minded way to get you to that same fear that we discussed in movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, in Pontypool even. Um, these are movies in which replacement occurs, but you observe your own replacement. And it's done in a way that treats people as a means to an end. At least in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, these are aliens that have this intentionality of taking over the human race for their own means, right? These are outsiders from another world. And Get Out, it's literally because the man is black. Right. It's because of his skin color. So it has your, it has the thing that scares you the most, at least if, if I'm correct, maybe I'm not, maybe in Fierce Change too. It's one of the things we learned in this podcast. Um, and it's done through a socially progressive and warning to the liberal woke white folks like us. Um, it, it, it's, it's uh, oh, I mean, in many ways, sort of the perfect horror film for you. So as great as Requiem is, I'm, I'm very perplexed that you wouldn't choose Get Out over Requiem, even 
even with how much you love Requiem for a Dream. So with that in mind, I, I want to like that I'm image a, is I'm also a, a perfect metaphor for African Americans within American society. It's Go true. ahead, Chip. Uh, so here, here's my response to that. You know that my fear is to be taken over. Um, and that's literally what Requiem does. Um, but it does it through uh, being put in a particular place in society that is considered lower class. It does it in a way of drugs. It does it in a way of who you associate yourself with. And in that respect, a lot of these people who may have been able to do some really amazing things, and we see this in the beginning of Requiem. These are people with dreams. These are people who are business-minded. These are people who want to do something amazing with their lives. They want to build themselves up. They want to, they, these are not pieces of shit, okay? These sure. are people that are actually actively trying to do something amazing with their lives. And yet, their minds are taken from them. And it, it, it is literally their minds are taken from them through whether it is uh, um, needing to steal or sell things or be associated with people that you wouldn't necessarily want to, but you're trying to make something of yourself. You're taking risks. And one of the things that they tell you in the business and marketing world is you have to take risks. But when you're lower class, taking risks can mean being in jail, can mean being put into an insane asylum, can mean getting your arm cut off from an infection because you weren't able to get things taken care of, could mean ended up ending up as a sex worker in a way that you never thought you could ever possibly be. And so risk assessment for higher class people is different thing for lower class people. And Requiem points out these problems with society in such a way that you understand why they are displaced as a person. And it's the same exact thing as a, a pod people kind of thing, because these are not the same people you see in the beginning of the film. They become completely displaced within themselves. This is why the fetal position thing is such an important aspect of it. They're trying so hard to embrace what they used to be, but they can't because this is what society has done to them. So it's it's definitely a class film of displacement, of personhood. So can I push back on that just a little? I mean, I know, Jim, you want to say something, so I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, so here's why I think there's a difference in that sense. And I get what you're saying. There is a sense in which, you know, their status in, is correlated to especially when they use the drugs, what happens to them and how they're taken care of. And, and I, I understand all of that. I think the difference is, and I don't, I want to be very careful how I say this um, because I understand addiction very well. Um, it, the, I think the difference though is if we're, if we're going to compare the two movies in terms of being taken over by something and the thing in Requiem is um, drugs along with not the inability to be taken care of to fix that problem versus get out and it's these white people right, coming to get you because you're black. I think that it's a more insidious problem in Get Out because the main character in Get Out has literally zero choice. Zero choice. It is not to say that the folks in Requiem for a Dream obviously can just choose to not do drugs and they're good. I'm not saying that. But at least in Requiem, there is a semblance of a choice in the decision-making process that they make all throughout the movie in relation to where they get at the end with no arm and, and at a, you know, at a rich person's house, part of, you know, getting banged left and right. Um, it, 
I get that there's a fine line between I decided these things and I ended up here because of things that were not of my own fault. But in Get Out, it's literally something the person has no choice over. And Did his friend not me. warn him that he might be sold into sex slavery? But that's Did a, his that's, friend not come and try to save yeah, him? But like, that's yeah, but that's that's a, I mean, that's a, his friend is largely for comedic purposes to downplay the significance and the seriousness of what's going on in the movie. A warning. I mean, how many of those people in Requiem have probably had warnings from their family and friends not to do the things they've done? I mean, if you do drugs, you you've had people tell you not don't do this. Typically, Both I mean, these so, films have people making choices that are probably not the healthiest of choices. He had so many warnings that the situation was dire. I don't think that's and he true, though. I want, I want to work on Ben for a second here. Yeah, no, because... actually, I, I'd like to speak up here, actually, before anyone yeah. works on me. Thank you. Uh, please, <laughs> please don't send me into the fucking sunken place and work on my head. Thank you. I'm going <laughs> to speak it. first. I I'm gonna... I want to direct argument. Let toward you if you don't mind <laughs> yeah no, well let me just let me just try this really quickly so uh, i think we focus on the drug thing just quite a bit here but i, I do want to also say that again like with requiem for a dream the drug thing is just a proxy for the deeper problem that we're looking at here again like what we're actually viewing is this this sort of uh this hole that everyone has that they're trying to fill in the absence of some sort of like divine kind of whatever that comes in um in requiem for a dream they're looking for answers they're looking for that happiness in some films like Seventh Seal, we get an answer to what exactly you can do with that and what the important thing really is. Where in Requiem, we get the opposite of that, where people have essentially rejected that. Um, and they've allowed themselves to be taken in by these more sort of corporeal sort of like temporary pleasures that end up being more harmful in the long run and sort of like rejecting the thing that's going to bring them true happiness. And so in that regard, I think it's a more broad issue than what we're talking about here with Get Out. Again, like Get Out, I think, becomes more culturally specifically relevant in the United States in 2019 and going into 2020, right? Like it has relevance in that regard. But Requiem sort of buries its lead. Again, like that was the big flaw for me with Requiem is that it kind of like buries the point a little bit too much because there's so much focus point put on the the visuals and like the drug thing that you don't really necessarily see it, but there is a deeper sort of fundamental issue again, that's common to everyone that we're seeing in Requiem that we don't necessarily see and get out. And so like, really that's the one thing that I think pushes me to the other side, because if I'm thinking about something that's a little more foundational in terms of fear and in terms of folly and like in the pitfalls you can fall into in terms of life again, like because I picked the seventh seal for that very reason, like it shows you, it shows you the darkness and then gives you the answer in Requiem. It's just like we saw with Cummins and a couple others. We've argued it really does. I agree with Sherry. It just shows you the darkness and it's not drugs. It's the fact that we're all missing something inside we're looking for an answer and they picked the wrong answer they made the wrong choice i think that's a valid argument and it's it's the type of argument that made me vote for uh requiem all throughout this this bracket challenge but i think that get out with the what i would the argument that i was going to direct to you sir was that get out has metaphor it's it's a very metaphorical film um, that image of Daniel Kaluuya's character in the sunken place is a metaphor for African-Americans within our within American society. And I don't think that we necessarily have to suggest that this is a, a strictly American problem. I mean, I, black people throughout the world are not necessarily treated uh, with the greatest degree of respect and in often cases are in the sunken place as it relates to how they 
are supposed to function within a larger white society. So metaphor, like, I think that Requiem for a Dream is, there's a lot of surface to that. Like, everything that is on the page, it's there, and it's vital, and it's real, and it's effective, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's virile in, in many ways. But Get Out, I think, has more... Uh, there's there's deeper it's a movie that once again i walked out three and a half stars and as i thought about it more as yeah. it, it it stoned in my shoe more i ended up raising it a full star and i think that has to do with the same type of thing that um motivates you to like some of these slow burn horror films because they are intellectual because they're metaphorical yeah. because they I'll, play on different notes i'll give you that like i mean it has that component and actually this the what you're talking about here is sort of an argument that i've briefly had with garrett in the past on and just like facebook comments and stuff and you know i yes there there um is this sort of like legacy i think of colonialism and there's this sort of broader bent of people choosing not just like white people versus other right i mean it's like in various cultures around the world you see this sort of bias sort of leaning toward lighter skin versus darker skin and so it, i think in that particular racial component there is a universal piece to that um and that is interesting um and again like i like whenever we did this podcast i had trouble sort of like interpreting and trying to read in too much because i think there's a perspective there that I can't necessarily tap into that adds meaning to this, like as good as it is and as symbolic as it is. And as much as I love get out, there's probably pieces of that, that I'm not going to fully 100% get. And I kind of recognize that going into it, but I do recognize that. Yes, it might be a little bit more broad. I'll give you that more broad than just, just the United States or just like Europe or, you know, just predominantly white countries. But again, I, I don't know, like whenever I think about, Requiem for a dream. I honestly get, I feel a little bit like Alan Watts and like Buddhism and like, you know, Zen and shit like that coming out. And like, as weird as that sounds, <clears throat> I really think it speaks to the, the warning signs of what lead you away from like a deeper sense of enlightenment in life. And like, that's, it's, it's such a weird, weird thing to say. And maybe it's kind of like disconnected and ivory tower compared to the real sort of impact that get out sort of speaks to in terms of our politics and like just generally like our geopolitic and our racial race relations and class relations and how all of that comes together and sort of like these power dynamics and privilege, like it seems more concretely valuable, but mm. for me, I don't know, like I really tend to, the the sort of broader more abstract more foundational kind of like fears that are deeper to like this existential sense of of humanity and questions that maybe we all ask and again well, like it's such yeah, a fine I'll, margin man it's such a fine margin you know right it's, it really it's so is and, I, and the only pushback that i'll have on that real quick before i i go to noah is just i think that one of the things that i love about film is it's able to put me in the place of a person whose lived experience is so completely foreign from mine but because of the power of the medium i'm able to relate with that person mm. and i yeah. would i get out was an eye opener uh i have definitely behaved in the ways that uh some of the characters in that film behaved and it 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 fucked me up that i i was even in a vicinity of the bradley Whitford character that uh and, and i you know one of the great lines that daniel kaluuya said in a uh, uh interview with stephen colbert was he said that the new version of i would have voted for obama for a third term if i could is i i've seen get out three times 
the new way of communicating no i'm one of the good white people is yeah, saying i've really seen get out uh which is it, you know just speaks to the power of the movie go ahead noah no that's a great that's that's really interesting um I wanted to pick Ben's brain for a second, and this may be a stretch, and I'm open to it being a stretch, but you know, I get what you're saying about Requiem having this larger, this larger, this this deeper component about, hey, as humans, we're missing something, and so we reach up to things that we ought not reach to, and a lot of those end up being the things that we see in Requiem, and it's not necessarily illicit drugs, you know, think of the mom, the the fridge, and things like that. So I, I see that the more fundamental prior component, almost the prerequisite to the bad things you see happening in Requiem. And so my question would be, do you not see those things in Get Out also in the way that the white people approach race, that the way that they treat the African-Americans as means to as uh, as uh, means to an end is their way of fundamentally missing something, too? You know, I like it, it, it may be that they, they, they have a, so it's almost like we're saying something to the effect that, you know, Requiem ha paints this picture of people having this hole in them. You know, what, what do we say is like this, this Christ shaped hole, let's, if we, to use the, the Christian lingo, but everyone has this, this hole that they're missing, this sort of this gap, this thing that they look for to fill and, you know, drugs and what have you, but in Get Out, it's, it's like hate fills that too, you know? So I don't want to necessarily say that Get Out doesn't have, it, it, I think if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that some of the antagonists in Get Out have that same capacity also. Maybe. I mean, like, I don't I don't even think I see it as like a hate thing. I, I think it's exactly the opposite. And kind of like I spoke to that a little bit earlier that, yes, I mean, there, there are definitely like racial racially based bias in here, but it's totally the opposite where we see like components of one type of person being so superior that we're going to use what we have to take that from them. It's like we see something, we're jealous of that, we want that so that we can add to our already magnanimous lives. And so like I think that's the total difference is that we see these sort of like elite, rich white folks who want more life. Like they're, it's not that they're looking for an answer. They're not looking for a foundational way to fill the gap that they have in themselves. It's like they already know what they want out of mm. life. They have all this shit and they're just trying to get more of that because they've already found what they want here and they just want to live longer and have more physical prowess and sort of build on what they already have. It's, but it's do you really remember? Just, I see it as like so, jealousy is really kind of like the motivator there. But that so that works up until a point. But do you remember the scene in Get Out where the dad is is showing uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, or he's showing the main character pictures? And I think he comes to the picture. Is it Jesse Owens in the Olympics? Yes. And uh, you're saying that it, he beat he, he. I think he beat his dad. Wasn't that it or yeah. something? Right. And it, it, it's like yeah, he would have made it in. And it's almost like there was a resent there was a deep resentment there. You know what I mean? That that was part of the push of that scene was almost like, yeah, it almost like it affected him. Do you remember that? It was like, there's this comment. I can't get it down because I, I, I could Google it if I could find it. But it was something to the effect of, yeah, he never got over it. That's what it was. It was something like, yeah, he almost never got over it or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I so I do think that there was a there, that there was a, a purposive push to uh, resentment and hate there. And I think you may be downplaying that. I mean, it's easy because I okay. forgot that scene, too. But I think that that's there for a reason. So I, I do think that hate does play a big role. Obviously, the selfishness, the sort of I want what you have bullshit, that's a huge part of the movie. But I, I think hate is definitely there. an active, obvious, overt hate, once you know the story, I think is also there too. Can I so – I, I, just, I just want to say, so uh, I don't think it was a hate so much as we could have done better and here's how we can improve ourselves – 
um, because that is the Nazi way of thinking, right? Like, how do we become the elite beings? That's always been the Nazi way of thing and thinking, and that's what Get Out is getting to the bottom of, is this Nazi way of thinking of how to become elite and how to become better than them at all. And, it, and I mean, if you look at all of the Nazi propaganda, it had Olympic uh, documentary work going on with it. Like, they were trying to become this elite physical uh, group of people. And if they can't do it with the white race, why not, like, try to embody a black person to try to do that. That's super. But I think it's an out, but that's an outworking of hate. I think hate comes first sure. to get you to think I want to take. Initially that. Hitler had the idea that we are better. And then they moved on to this idea of in get out. Uh, hey, they're better. Let's steal their betterness. And that yeah. is what makes it fucked. And that's what so, it's called. I think, I think, I think we can broaden that idea, though. I mean, I think it's like eugenics in general, and that existed before Hitler rose to power and said, well, we're going to hearken back to the glory of the whatever, you know, whatever the fuck that he cared about. I mean, like eugenics was popular in the United States, too. And it's almost like the fact that Hitler embraced that kind of made it really gross and taboo because he took it to like a a horrible extreme. So, yeah, I mean, like uh, there's there's that element there. Um, but I, I just want to make it um, kind of like make a point to say that it's like beyond just like the Nazis thing. Like this was something that was popular kind of like in the developed world already in like the 30s and 40s. This yes. Idea. Yes. Yeah. Let's I'm going to call the question. Let's and? vote then. Let's do this. Any vote changes? Mm, no. Oh, no. No, God, no. Get out. 100%. All right. If this goes to Requiem, I want to I want to say I, my vote was for Get Out. My vote was for Get Out. <laughs> you would have voted for Get Out three times. I've used yes. that joke too many times. Yes, we have. All right. Requiem is higher seated. Requiem is heads. Get Out is tails. Flipping now. The winner is Requiem. Whoa! <laughs> Somebody still has awesome. his shenanigans. Yep, yes. yep, yep. Here we go. The winner is still Requiem. <laughs> <laughs> yes! So actually what this means is the winner is Antichrist because chaos reigns. You're goddamn right. Exactly. The winner exactly. is Antichrist. Under the radar. I hope I want to say I want to I want to kind of close this out by saying I hope that because I doubt many like if we look at this list I feel like our viewers one more time it was uh, yeah there's not going to be there's not going to be one viewer that suspected or or voted I think for Requiem to make it all the way I don't think Uh, I could be wrong but uh, so I want to say that I hope that especially by the end if anyone watched all of these videos that we did where we argued for like six or eight hours. Um, that you respected the arguments. Because we got here through, I want to remind everybody, through a number of uh, arguments, but also chance. Like we got here through arguments, through chance, and then through persuasion, switching each other's votes. There was a lot more of that in this than I thought there would be. A lot more vote switching. Uh, I mean, even on my end. um, But some of you are persuasive little fuckers. So um, anyway, I enjoyed this thoroughly. This was so cool to do after... You know, years of a podcast where we got to 64 movies, a lot of them with different co-hosts, and then eventually sort of solidifying us four here in this podcast is kind of the main four who now do this. Um, this has been a really cool experience. So, and it made me kind of flesh out, change my, like flesh out the different movies that we've done, make me reset my scores in my own head, 
like if I could go back now and do some of the reviews that we've done for some of these movies, I feel like I would change some of what I said, maybe change some of my scores. Um, so this has been a pretty fruitful conversation to me, and I'm really glad we did it. We will see you. Those of you who just joined for the uh, the bracket, um, I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you again in another 64, mo- 64 weeks. Um, until then, uh, next week we'll be going back to our regular format. Uh, Noah will be returning to the hosting chair, um, and uh, I will I will return to the co-host chair, my rightful place. Um, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed our bracket challenge where Requiem for a Dream ends up taking it. Um, and uh, I, you know, everybody wishes they had one more shenanigans. Um, but until then, until next week, uh, we will see you. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe this video, and uh, leave your uh, comments in the comment section below. Let us know what you think of our final choice, Requiem for a Dream. Uh, we will see you next week. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.